during the beatification of Don Alvaro, 2014, I had a chance to visit the Vincentians. A lot of people piled up in the courtyard. They were taking photos. There were Africans there, Americans, Asians, lots of Filipinos had piled up there. And inside the church, at the very back of the church was a small plaque. It was a regular church with statues and altars and so forth. And at the very back, uh, a plaque that was quite high up. You could barely read it. And the plaque explained what had happened here on October 2nd, 1928. The building itself, where our father was doing that retreat, is now gone. But somewhere around there was that building. You know, it was the Feast of the Guardian Angels. Our father was on retreat with other priests. And like the others, he was going over his life as a priest. He was going over his life in general. So it's 1928. He had been ordained in 1925 for Saragossa. He had replaced a priest for a few months in Perigera. He was looking over that. How did that go? And he remembered how his father told him before he died that uh, maybe he should get a degree in civil law. And uh, that would be a way eventually to support the family. And of course, that degree could only be done in Madrid. And so, as you know, in the spring of 1927, his mother, his sister, and brother moved to Madrid, where he could pursue a doctorate in law. Well, what kind of ministry was he doing? Well, he was helping out at the Foundation of the Sick, he was doing some tutoring, supporting his family. He was hearing confessions of children. He was doing penance, lots of penance. And it was like a prelude, all that, to a big explosion of grace that would come in his life. A preview. And that explosion came today, in 1928. There were six other priests on retreat. He prayed the breviary. He read the gospel. Now we can picture him reviewing some notes, handwritten notes that he had taken perhaps some years before. He was going through one note after another. Suddenly, the ground was stirring. Things were becoming clear as to what he was really doing here in Madrid. It's as though the notes that he was looking over were about to say what the meaning of ut vidiam and ut sit really was. That is, what must I see here, Lord? He was, he was going through his head. I, I'm just imagining it now. There has to be a reason why I'm here. It was as though he was pushing the envelope with the Lord. Jesus, I've waited now. I've been praying. You got to come through now. You know, I'm sensing something now. It's like like dogs. They say dogs can sense when an earthquake is about to happen. 
know, they, even, even weeks before, they feel something in the air, they intuit something. I don't know how it is, but uh, they detect seismic activity. They can pick up subtle changes in the atmosphere, the pressure and the sounds and the vibrations. We can't pick those up. They can. And they say, in Japan, there was an earthquake, you know, of, I don't know, 7.2 magnitude and uh, killed thousands of people. But many people before that had reported that their dogs were behaving oddly. And this has happened several times. They, they, they say that you know, that's, that's one of the things dogs can do because they have this, this great sensitivity. And you could say that for years our father was sensing or perceiving that an earthquake was coming, was brewing. Perhaps he thought, well, this is an earthquake, but it's for me, it's for my family. It's, I'm going to discover some brilliant idea that will really help me to support my family. What was, what was this tremor that was going? He didn't yet know. And I would say that on October 2nd, our father likely detected that the Udvidyam, the meaning of that Udvidyam that I may see, was coming to an end. So, so he had to intuition of God's presence. And especially answer that question, what am I doing here in Madrid? He was not from Madrid, this was not his place, but he was here for a reason. Before he could formulate an answer to that intuition, he could suddenly hear the sound of the bells of the Church of Our Lady of the Angels drifting through the window. The pealing of the bells calling people to the Mass that was being celebrated in the at the Church of Our Lady of the Angels. Those were the first tremors. And then, it's as though this silent earthquake hit him, deep in his heart, deep in his mind, something he could now see. It was like an earthquake that hit. The missing elements of his unclear visions were now completely added. The picture now came into focus. Of course, the earthquake was not a destructive earthquake like the one in Japan, but it did change the landscape of his life. He saw that God wanted there to be a portion of his church made up of people who would dedicate themselves to incorporating this drive into their lives, this amazing pathway to sanctity. He could see it. There would be ordinary people, young people, old people, all these professions, suddenly they would incorporate this drive. As you know, the Church of Our Lady of the Angels, that church where you heard the bells from, is quite a few blocks away. It's not far for us, but back then, you know, there was just there were practically any buildings around to block the sound. Today it has a chapel with a large painting at the entrance where you see him kneeling, you see the table, you see the notes, you see the window open, you see the spire of the Church of Our Lady of the Angels. Clearly somebody who knew the story painted that scene. And our father said that he still remembered hearing those bells. Why did he remember the bells? I mean, they're just bells, they're just sound. Our father remembered those bells because 
but we remember things that happen in crucial moments of our life, very important moments. We all remember where we were when uh, John Ball II died. We all remember where we were at 9-11. Everybody remembers in those crucial moments. But some sounds, like the whistle of a train, we hear that at the manoir or the, the tolling of the bells, these things awaken something in us. And for our father, they awakened in him this tremendous grace that he had received. And he said, I never, I never stopped hearing the tolling of those bells. It was as though it was a call for him to quicken his step. And today, too, we can ask the Lord to help us hear those bells, to quicken our step towards sanctity, towards the holiness that he is really calling us to, he's calling you and me to. When our father had that vision on October 2nd, he had a vision of a new and more refreshed church, where sanctity was truly within the reach of ordinary people. He pictured them there in their working lives, in their families. He had this Tremendous vision of people hard at work, doing something perhaps difficult to do, that required uh, formation and training. But they were sanctifying themselves. They were improving themselves. They were becoming better. They were living charity. It was not this thing of sanctity. It was not the purview simply of the clerical elite. And uh, it's interesting that I'm not sure, but I think the bells that he heard were also calling somebody, or were calling people to a funeral. That, that there was a funeral mass going on at that moment. <clears throat> Maybe it was a, a regular mass at that time. I don't know if it was around noon, but it, it, I always like to imagine that it would have actually been a funeral mass. The funeral mass for somebody who had died calling people to come to the funeral. And it's a kind of a symbol. Of course, when you celebrate a funeral, you're praying for somebody to go to heaven, and those bells remind you to pray for that person to go to heaven. But uh, for our father, perhaps it was also a premonition that an old order had died. Not just that a person had died, but an old order, a mentality perhaps that had encrusted itself in certain sectors suggested that just a certain privileged few had access to the heights of sanctity. Just a few people could do that. Just people you know, that had dedicated themselves to the church. And of course, you looked at the roster of saints and it was mainly that. Only a few could arrive. And it was very difficult. It would take years and years. Really, the bells were about a kind of a death, the death of an old order, a death of the old man, the death of some form of human vision with regards to sanctity, and the birth of a new magnanimity that had entered. I came across this passage in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he speaks about his new life in Christ his new understanding now 
that he'd converted, he'd been baptized, his new understanding of salvation. And he describes it as though really a new order had begun. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old order has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Of course, St. Paul is speaking about the new order in Christ. Everything before that came to prepare for Christ, all the prophecies, you know, all, the whole Old Testament was really you know, a long series of preparations for the coming of Christ. And that was now considered a new order. It had its purpose, but now it was over. Now the new order had entered. And in some way, the earthquake that our father saw had in some way had started a new order. Paul, of course, did not know our Lord personally when he was actually alive on earth. But he is suggesting that he previously judged Christ on the basis of his own Pharisaic prejudices. I mean, he wanted to kill Christians because he had his own prejudices from the point of view of this sect of the, of the Pharisees. And now, now he knows Christ as the Savior of men, an old order had passed away. Like all the changes that took place after 9-11, all the security changes in the airports, and all, all that is, is part of the new order that we're in. That's why our father said he never forgot the sound of those bells all his life. And he would find uh, different ways to explain this, to describe this, to express this, different ways to write this new order. In 1930, just a a couple of years after, he wrote, Plain Catholics, the mass of dough being leavened and rising. Ours is what is ordinary with complete naturalness. This means professional work, everyone a saint. Everyone a saint. You can see the excitement with which he wrote those. Everybody, he's just picturing everybody, it has it within their reach. So naturally we have to ask ourselves on today's feast that gives us, gives us so much joy. What about me? Do I still hear the peal of those bells? Can I make them out? Do I still have that enthusiasm that I had when I first whistled it? I can be a saint. God wants me to be a saint in Opus Dei. Do I hear those bells ringing loudly or is it just a distant weak sound that I can that is barely affecting the pace of my step I mean that's what the purpose of the bells are they're made to the, the, the purpose is that you hasten your step towards the church lest you be late are the bells still affecting my pace and my work my speech my apostolate I don't think uh, our father just discovered this as a kind of, uh, like an idea. No, it was not like a sudden accidental discovery. 
like some scientific discoveries we know of are accidental. Like Alexander Fleming, who precisely in 1928 accidentally discovered penicillin. It was just an accident. He, was, he had no intention of discovering penicillin. Apparently he was keeping some, some mold in a petri dish, doing some other experiment that had nothing to do. And he suddenly noticed that, that, back, that the bacteria that was there, that it was not growing around the mold. He's, this is what they say in the, in the books. That the bacteria wasn't growing. And uh, he realized that this, this bacteria was a rare form of penicillin that inhibited bacterial growth. He said, well, maybe we could... You know, it was just like an accident. He didn't expect that. That's how we get, as I understand, that's how we get antibiotics. There are many scientific activities like that that were accidental. I looked this up once, like insulin is accidental. Crazy glue is accidental. The microwave was accidental. X-rays, the pacemaker, these are all inventions that we use on a daily basis today that each one has their story. When somebody was doing something, noticed something that he didn't expect, and, and eventually it led to this invention. But for our father, I don't think it was that sort of discovery. It's true he describes it as an illumination. But it was kind of more a clear idea of what had already been sort of brewing in his soul, and now it had become clear. So he had kind of been undertaking a you know, chemical experiment for some time, and now, now it came to fruition. It was a clear idea of his mission, that he could now truly strive to holiness. As he said, I received the illumination about the work of the, about the entire work, it involved a clear general idea, he said. Clear general idea of his mission, but did not include all the details. It did not include divine filiation yet. Now, something has come into the world that it allows us really uh, to live by faith, like the power of the mustard seed power of the mustard seed tells us about the power of faith. It's so small, yet it has immense power. If we had the, you know, the real faith, we could move mountains, our Lord said. For our Father, it was a coming together of the real importance of earthly things, of work, and the means that one could use to sanctify all those daily events. He suddenly grasped that sanctity was truly within the reach of everyone, and it was, of course, within his reach too. It was like a major moment of reframing his life, you could say that. He had all these uh, difficulties or these challenges in his life, how he was going to take care of his family, the law degree and all that, but suddenly it was reframed. It came into focus as the place in which he could become the best version of himself. Suddenly, his time in Madrid, his studies, his families, his, the political situation, his own health, it was all now suddenly seen through a new lens. It was a lens that changed the color of everything. 
And we ask our Lord for that lens too. When we're doing tedious work or anything difficult, Lord, help me to see through that lens. It's a new lens I must see. And I've seen these wonderful videos of people who are colorblind. They only see black and white, and they're suddenly given special glasses that will help them to see in color. And they, they film them just as they put on these glasses that are you know, specifically made for them. All their life they've been seeing in black and light in these gray shades, and they're given these new glasses for the first time, and all of a sudden, the wonders of color, they look around and they, you know, I don't know exactly how much color they actually see, but uh, they suddenly see everything so beautiful from the dark outlines and the dark shadows. Their faces now are illuminated. The blushing, they could see the blushing of cheeks, the blue eyes around them. It's a moment of euphoria. Or have you ever seen that when they implant a cochlear implant in a, in a, in a child? And they, the child will have this implant on his head and into his ear. Up until now, he couldn't even hear the voice of his own mother. And they have him connected to a computer. And the technicians say, okay, in, in, in one minute I'm going to turn on and the child is going to hear. And the child is kind of looking around and kind of drab. And then, okay, I'm going to click. They turn it on. And the mother says, Hello, sweetie. How are you, sweetie? And the, ch- the child's eyes just, you know, and they start crying. Everybody starts crying because uh, the child hears the voice of her mother for the first time. I think our father heard a voice. It's like you could say that. He heard the voice of our mother. She was always there with him. And now her tender, motherly voice came came clearly through. It does not say, as far as I know from the historical accounts, does not say that he wept, but he certainly was full of emotion. He knelt down. He was no longer blind or, or colorblind or deaf. But something new filled him. From now on, he could, he could go through life with, with those eyes, uh, color, you know, see color in the world and hear the, the real sounds. Something that we ask also today, that as we celebrate this feast today, we ask our Lord to, to help us see the colors, the beauty of the colors, the beauty as we, you know, here especially, you can, you can see the whole city, you can see the trembling of the trees and, and, the, and the leaves and the wind and the light. It's an image of of how we have to see this every day as we get out of bed, every day as we go to work, every day as we interact with people and help them too. In some ways, we are giving them these glasses. Yesterday, we had St. Therese de Lisieux who tried to discover her mission and she compared the church to, you know, to a series of members of a body she couldn't find out which member of the body, which she didn't see if she was the head or the hand or, or the eyes, and she, she understood she was the heart. Every heart, every body has a beating heart, and that's what she wanted to be, the beating heart of love. Let's ask this of our Blessed Mother.
she will guide us through her intercession she will guide us as as she guided our our father through that process he said that you know the lord would tell me okay move here move that move this and he was docile to that as ask our blessed mother to guide us so that we be docile eh, to the beauty of this vocation to sanctity I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.